comedy is subjective. And I could say, I think George Carlin is the funniest comedian I've ever seen in my entire life. And other people say, I never laughed at him once. And I guess that's what makes the world go round. Um, back in the day when I was first starting, there were a million TV shows on that had a brick wall behind him and people would stand up and tell jokes. Um, I find the comedians of this generation to not make me laugh too much. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco makes me laugh. Uh, Fluffy, Gabe Iglesias makes me laugh. We just had Brad Williams on the show. He makes me laugh. Um, but these guys are more, in my opinion, old school comics. I just, uh, maybe it's my age, I am not into this revolutionary new, you know, bandwidth of comedy. Um, and I could go to the comedy store now and not laugh all night based on what I don't find funny. Um, and, you know, that happens generationally. I'm sure there were things that I did and that I found funny back in the day with Steve Landisberg and David Brenner and people like that. The generation uh, prior to me would say, I don't get it. So um, I guess maybe every 25 years it changes and you either get along with it or you don't. Um, but, you know, in game shows, it's ask question, answer question, get check. Uh, I think in comedy, it's, uh, you know, set up punchline, um, with the exception of Gabe Iglesias, who doesn't tell jokes, he tells stories uh, in an old school form that guys like Danny Thomas used to do. And he's the only person I know who's out there doing it. But here's the best part about all those guys. They're very likable and they can do almost anything. And I think you get a reaction. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mark Summers Unwraps. I have a gentleman with me today who I have not seen live and in person. I'm going to say at least 20 years. Jim J. Bullock, who uh, we met, I was doing the warm-ups on Too Close for Comfort initially. Yes. Until one time I uh, announced the producer as a dead producer from another with another name, and I got fired, uh, which is a whole other story. But we have a, a mutual friend, Mark Maxwell-Smith, yes. who kept us alive back in the day when we just came out here trying to make a living. And he was producing game shows for Ralph Edwards Productions. And you and me and Vanna White would play uh, contestants in various games. Sometimes she was my wife. Sometimes she was your wife. Uh, and so I forget what they paid us, but it was more money than it, I had. Well, it was it was more money than I had too, because you know we were starving, you know, trying to make our dream happen. And it would be like twenty five dollars. Yeah, I, I kind of remember. And then they we went up to fifty. It was you gotta be kidding me and then you know if you did like a full run through and everything it would be like maybe 150 or something anyway it didn't matter it didn't matter because it was fun we were working you did a show called Talk About It I don't know if you remember this show Um, no they're still trying to sell it now it was on for a while in Canada and I don't know if you remember this story but Ronnie Shell was uh, the host remember that ooh yes I do remember (laughs) and they had me Ronnie's probably still around he won't be happy to hear this um he was having trouble, and uh, they had me show him how to host the show. Now, I hadn't hosted anything at that point other than doing run-throughs and whatever. And I went over to Ralph Edwards, and I said, if I'm showing the guy who's hosting the show how to host it, why don't I host it? Or why don't we each do <laughs> and yeah, and let the best man win? And he said, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And so Ronnie did it, and uh, I'm not sure if he did it in series or not. But you were great on that thing. It was an improv thing because they'd give you a, you know, a plunger and say, talk about, you know, and you had to make up stories about it. I do remember. And, I, and I you were remember. fantastic at that. I do remember that, that he was not the nicest man. <laughs> he, he was pretty uh, confident of his ability, which he had... 
not a lot of in that particular. He was he was good on Gomer Pyle and stuff like that, yeah. but yeah, didn't fit into the game show format. No, no, uh, he didn't have the energy for that. He, he really didn't. Um, so we used to do that a lot. But I'm going to take you back and and correct this story if if uh, I screw this up. So you and I at one point after we had somewhat made it became judges on the Miss Teen USA pageant. Oh my god. Remember this? <laughs> really? Yes. I Mark, I forgot. No, I remember this. Did I you? didn't remember you were there. I was there. My mother was there. Yeah, I remember well, and that's that. what I want to talk about. So oh, we were okay. somewhere in Louisiana. Biloxi. We were in Biloxi. Yeah. And um uh, we were there for like it seemed like weeks, okay. And you were allowed to bring somebody with you. Now yeah. I was get, I was on the Nickelodeon tour at the time, so I couldn't do it. I had to do this gig and then move on. But you brought your mom. I brought my mom. And I said to her, "What was it like having Jimmy as a son?" And she got the biggest smile on her face, and she said, "Well, she had a cute Southern accent. It was always interesting." And she told me a story, and tell me if I remember this correctly or not. That every year during the Miss USA, uh, Miss America pageant. Oh my God! You had a cat. Yes. And you would knit all during the show, sort of a uh, a cape or a dress for uh, the winner. And when they announced the winner, you would put this cape or dress on the cat with a crown. Uh, and is this a true story? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, the fact that I had to come out to my parents at 37 years of age <laughs> is shocking because what other eight-year-old kid, kid would go to his mom and go, Mom, can I have a swatch of fabric? And I would sit there and sew and put beads on it and then... When they crowned them in America, I'd put it on my cat and make her walk around the living room. <laughs> so that's a true story. I can't believe you remember I that. I remember that story. And I also remember there was a hurricane coming. There was a hurricane, a, a big one. A big one. And so what they did is we shot the ending like during the day because at that night everybody had to leave. Yes. And they shot like an ending where everybody won, if you remember. Yes. And then they shot two endings. Yes. Yes. And and then uh, you know, until we turned on that night we didn't and, know who... and we didn't know who it was. And we got no. on the bus and none of us knew. We're going back to the airport, none of us knew. They they were like and the winner of Miss Tina Teen USA is so and so Miss Wisconsin. Okay, cut, give me the crown, give me the flowers. <laughs> Get back in line. And then, <laughs> then it was like, it's Miss Indiana. <laughs> and I felt bad for those girls. I did too. Because one of them was going to win and one of them wasn't going to win. But on the same token, I mean, that was a... And you got on a bus and went to an airport. I had to be in upstate New York to do a show the next day. And I got in a car and was trying to beat the, the hurricane. And oh. it was more frightening than I can tell. I got up to Nashville and got a plane and finally got to where I was going. But that was scary as hell, as I remember. You and I... Have been doing this forever. I'm I'm 72 in a few weeks. And how old are you? I'm six. I'll be 69 in in February. Okay, so we're we're close in age there. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna bet that you and I never did this to be rich and famous. Okay, we did this because we were passionate about yes being in the industry. I wanted to be famous. You did want to be famous. I did want to be famous. Because I didn't, I didn't know if fame would come with. It. I mean, money would come with it. Right. You know, but. Oh, yeah. I, w I wanted the attention. You did. Oh, yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I want to be a great actor or anything like that. But I wanted to be on TV and I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to. I wanted that. So how'd you make that happen? You graduate high school in Texas. I did. I graduated high school. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University ah. on a voice scholarship because I'm a singer and I was going to be an evangelist. <laughs> An evangelistic singer. Seriously? Seriously, yeah. I was going to be an evangelistic singer. So you were really religious 
being brought up, I'm assuming. I was. And I still am. I'm not religion. I hate that word. I'm not religious at all, but I'm I'm Christian, Uh but the good part of Christian. (laughs) I'm a follower of Jesus and his teachings. So Christians are kind of creepy people right now. (laughs) They're really creepy. So I, I have to kind of... You know, Separate specify, yourself. Specify yeah. the, the, I follow the teachings and the love of Jesus, not this judgmental bullshit that's out there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I went to OBU, and uh, and it was there that I got cast into a production of Godspell. And Godspell sort of changed my life because I went, wow, I can not only be funny and be silly. I didn't even know I was gay. I was just... I knew I was different, but I didn't know what what I was. But I I thought. Did I you can... date girls in high school? Uh, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I I actually had sex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you realized. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it, but you Did know, you? A, a warm pumpkin. Well, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'll never look at this again no, the same way. <laughs> no, and that's awful. A that's warm awful. Pumpkin, but you huh? know, no, I mean, you know, you're. 13, 14, your hormones are raging. You know, of course, what am I going to be with? I, there was none of that. Uh, so so you were, boy, you got laid way before I did. I, I, I did get laid young. <laughs> I got laid very young. Uh, and so. But you thought you were different at some point. And I had, and by the time I got to college, I, I thought, if I find the right girl, then I will fall in love and I'll get married and we'll have a family and that will be that, mm-hmm. you know. But I never found that. And so uh, I left after two years and I wanted to come out here. And I, you know, I didn't know anybody out here. I came out here in 1977. My mother was not happy. Really? She was like, you know, over my dead body. But she brought me out here. She drove out with you? She drove me out here and she stayed with me and helped me find an apartment on Orchid Avenue right behind the Chinese theater. Oh, my. So anyway, and I studied at the Strasbourg Theater Institute. Oh, my. I thought that was, you know, by this time, I, I did want to be an actor. Now, to get in Strasbourg, I never knew this. Uh, did, did you have to audition or did they just take your money and didn't care? They just kind of take your really? money and don't care. You know, they say you have to audition, but... Everybody got in. Everybody got in. So how long know. did you take classes at... The... Six months. Six months. I ran okay. out of money, so... So I, what you was know. your first job in show business then? My first professional job was, I did stand it up, you know. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, yes. I, I, uh. At the comedy store? At the comedy store and the improv. So, uh, I ran it, I, I did a Godspell again out here. <laughs> it's like, Godspell, Godspell. I did Godspell out here. An agent came to me afterwards and said, I want you to call me Monday. And it was like, you know, it was like, I've got an agent. I've got an agent. And so I go in and I meet with her at the Dorothy Day Otis Jack Rose oh Agency. Oh, my God. Do you I remember, remember them. Absolutely. That's where we all went. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and Joanne King. Joanne King. I remember Joanne oh King. Oh, my God. No. Yes. 100%. I met with all these people. They all rejected me. It was unbelievable. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I well, couldn't get arrested. Joanne so, King said to me, she goes, okay, I, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to get signed. She couldn't sign me to Jack's agency. Right. But she said, I'm telling you what. She said, what do you want? And I said, I want a sitcom. She goes, stand up. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing stand up. She goes, if you want a sitcom, stand up. And she... As crazy as she was, yeah. 
She was right on because it's 1977, 78. The clubs were hot, hot, hot. So you know? I became a regular at the store in 76. So you came in after. Like, I came in really 70, 78. God, really I don't remember this. 78. And you had an act that you wrote? What did you do? <laughs> oh, my God. My act... Oh, geez. If you can call it that. I just would get up there and really fly by the seat of my pants. I was not a joke teller. I never told jokes. Um, I had... I, I had... Did you I use did props? props. Lots and lots of props. I had a suitcase of props. Wow. And I'd go up there and just do ridiculous things. Just stupid things and... Sort of carrot They weren't even funny. They weren't But fun. because I, I had so much energy... Yeah, you were frenetic as I hell. had energy shooting out of every orifice of my body. <laughs> and because of that, I think I was entertaining that people were like... They were horrified. But <laughs> you know, they at the same time to laugh. And you did the improv? Because that was the hardest room in That's town, That's where I, I started. No. So Oh. I went first. She said, she said, bring. So this crazy agent, Joanne King, she said, um, well, I'll work with you and we'll get you five minutes together. So she'd come over to my house, my little place in Burbank my house, my apartment, and I'd make her a sandwich. She had this great smoker's uh, laugh and and I just do crazy shit. And she'd go, write it down, write it down, put it in, put it in an index card, write it down. And so. I had these index cards, and one day she said, it was a Sunday, she said, we're rehearsing over at my place, bring your uh, Su- suitcase. Yeah. So I get there, and she goes, we're going to the improv. And I said, no, 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 we're not going to the improv. It's open mic night. And she said, I said, I'm not ready. Next week, I'll be ready next week. She goes, no. next, you'll never be ready. You're ready. So she dragged you over So there. we went over there. Oh, my. I put my name in that bowl. This is when the Empire had burnt down. Yes. So all they You know had who that... was hosting those Monday nights? Who? Me. Let me tell you the story. Uh, Were you? I couldn't get into the improv. I could. Bud would not give me the time of day. When the place was had burned down, I was watching the 11 o'clock news. And the next morning, I drove down there at 8 o'clock in the morning. And as Bud was opening what doors were left because the place was on fire... He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, somebody's got to put this place back together. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, that's why I'm here. So for the next month, I went down there every day to help Bud put the place back together. And all of a sudden, not only was I emceeing on Saturday nights, I was hosting Monday night's open mic night. So at some point or another, I must have introduced you uh, doing your act. You must have. Because honestly, Mark, I was was so nervous. And, And I just remember... They'd get up, you, I guess, and you'd go, coming up next is, you'd pull out a thing, and you'd go, Jim Martin. Ugh, my heart would stop. <laughs> and then uh, Jim Bullock. And I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember there's a stairs that yep. went up to some nowhere, and I was at the top of the stairs at one point. And anyway, I was leaving, and Bud comes up, and he goes, you're funny, kid. And I was like, thank you. Thanks. And he said, yeah, I want you to come back. So he started working me. And then two weeks later, I went to the comedy store. Wow. And I thought I bombed. I went to the bathroom and Argus Hamilton. Yeah, sure. Jesus, what's wrong with me? Who's still there, by the way. My prevision is working. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm throwing water on my face because I felt I really blew this shot. Right. And that's where I did. I was just so desperate. I I turned the stool, you know, the stool. Yeah. I turned the stool upside down. No. And I said, bring those four gay boys in and have them sit down right here. (laughs) So that's where, and I'm in the bathroom and he goes, Mitzi wants to see you. And I said, Mitzi who? And he goes, the owner of the club. And so 
I went over to her booth. Yep. She had chopsticks and shit in her hair. Oh, always. You're a funny kid. Yeah. You know, and that was where it started. Wow. But to, my first job came from the improv and Larry Cohen. Really, what's happened to me? I can't remember who you are, and I'm remembering all these things. I'm pulling them out of my ass. Uh, he said, I want you to be in my film. Oh, this is a heartbreaking story. So he said, I want you to be in my film, Full Moon High. And I, I, I oh my God. So I get the script. He actually contacts my agents. I'm signed with Jack Rose, Dorothy Day Otis at this time. And I have the lead role in this film. Oh, my. An American international film. It's called Full Moon High, and it was a spoof on I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Oh. So it's like, oh, my God, I don't believe this. So about three weeks before filming, Larry Cohen calls me to his house in Beverly Hills and says, I got a heartbreaking thing to tell you, kid, but I'm taking you off the lead. Nothing to do with you or your talent. I just have an opportunity to get a name in my show. And Alan Arkin has agreed to do a cameo if his son Adam oh will play my this God. role. And so he said, I'm going to keep you on the lesser role, but, you know, you're going to, we're going to, and anyway. So did you do the movie? I did do the movie. Nice. And it's it's you know it's ridiculous but uh but you did that's it. what got me my sag card and, wow <clears throat> so I mean, that was my stories first film. see that's it you know people have no idea sometimes you plan it but most of the times you can't because other people make decisions for us in this industry so so you do the movie you're doing the comedy <laughs> store you're doing the improv yeah how did too close for comfort happen okay so let me i slept with ted but that's all that's true no no, <laughs> you that's too, not huh? true. no, <laughs> no 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 so i'm doing so i'm waiting for the movie to come out yeah. this is my break i don't have to do so i never liked stand up i i did not like stand up and i thought oh this is my break i don't have to do the stand up anymore and just the film will come out and it'll be released and i'll be a star and that never happened. The film never got released. It never did? No, it went to, like, what was the very first? Was it HBO? Was that the- Was the first one that actually, yeah. Okay. They never aired it? No. It, well, it's plays now, and oh, you can it? get it on Netflix or something wow. like that if you want to go into a coma. It, but it actually had Ed McMahon and all these people oh, in it. I mean, it had quite the list of stars. But, uh, so, I have to go back to doing stand-up. And so I went back and was doing stand-up, and by this time I'm doing La Jolla Comedy Store, I'm doing Westwood, mm -hmm. remember? I'm doing, I'm doing Bud's Improv, I'm wow. doing Mitzi's Comedy Store, all at the same time that strike was happening. And not making any money. And not making any, oh Lord, no. But even during the strike, when it was over with, we got like 25 bucks a night or something, oh, yeah, if we yeah. were lucky, sometimes 10. Exa I know, I know. Uh, but I was willing to do whatever, and uh, then ABC, Mitzi was consultant for ABC. I had no idea. Excuse me. She was a create a, a talent consultant or whatever and so she would um suggest people to them. Suggest people to really? them and and there would be these showcases. And so there was a showcase and I was on the lineup. And so oh my god, it was in the original room and I'm in the back with my little sad suitcase ready to go up and the room's full and half the room is suits and the other half a tourist. And the MC guess it might have been you. Could have been me. And said, yeah. uh, coming to the stage next is a young man and he's just starting out. He's a little green behind, behind the ears. So please, ladies, please welcome Steve Martin. Oh, my. 
and Steve Martin dropped in and oh, wanted my. to do a set. And he came in and he did 20 minutes. Yeah, and you can't follow him. of the longest minutes yeah. of my life. Yeah. And I really did learn an incredible lesson then that I really, was so valuable that I'm not in competition with Steve Martin. I'm not in competition with anyone. No. There, I, I'm, I do what I do. I bring what I bring to the table and that's all I can do. But the problem is often after Robin Williams hit it big and he was doing a Tonight Show, I was ready to go up next, and he'd come in and say, hey, Mark, can I just do 10 minutes? Okay. Well, as you know, Robin could never do just 10 an minutes. An hour. He'd do an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And my line always used to be when he would get done and exhaust the audience, and they'd say, ladies and gentlemen, now welcome the comedy of Mark Summers. And I, my opening line was, oh, a walking ovation. Thank you so much. Because everybody would be leaving the club after seeing oh, Robin. Jesus. How the oh, hell can you follow that? Oh, that is tough. So you had to follow Steve well, Martin. My, the fortunate thing that worked in my favor that night is that Steve wasn't doing that. I'm a wild and crazy guy or all that. He was trying new material oh. and not giving them happy feet and, and wild and crazy guy stuff. So he was trying out new material. So, of course, it's Steve Martin. Yeah. It, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, Steve Martin. So I kind of went up and and I got laughs. And, and that made, I, made me look even better, yeah. I think, in front of the network. So anyway, long story short, I got a contract out of that, a year contract. And then Too Close for Comfort came. Which was amazing. Yeah, I was, uh, at the time, king of the warm-ups. I was doing Soap and Star Search and What's Happening Now and Alice. And I got uh, Too Close for Comfort. Uh, Ted Knight, I kind of knew because I was working on the Mary Tyler Moore show and he was always the sweetest, nicest man ever. Was it Nancy Dassault on that as yeah, well? so sweet. Said, nicest lady. She's still around. I think I'm on she Facebook is, with yeah. her. Um, but, uh, you know, when I did Alice, nobody really cared about Alice. They wanted flow. And I always felt that way on Too Close for Comfort. They put up with the other people, but when you came on that set, there was a magic that happened, and the audience absolutely loved that. How long did you do that show? Six years. And, you know, oh with, with Ted, there was. You know, the character was only two weeks, uh, initially two weeks, and it was like, how much was I getting? I think I was getting 3000 an episode. Oh, oh, an episode. Yeah, okay. And you were, uh, Ficus was the character? Ficus. And what was your job? I forget. I just showed up. I had no job. No job. Later, I became uh, a security card when I got raped. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole nother. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, well, no. I got raped on the show. Yeah, yeah I know that. I know. You know I, about that no, episode. No, I don't know. For every woman, for every, for every man, there's two women. Monroe was abducted. I had no idea. By two large women that raped me. Oh. Oh, it's funny. What? A, it was funny? No. I they, can't they imagine. The ABC took it out of the syndication package. It was never seen. It went away. Oh, my. And it came back like 10 years ago. It it's resurfaced again. And no now idea. you can see it. It's it's terrible. But that's jumping the many years ahead. Um, but six years, you thought you'd probably died and gone to heaven because the increase in money, by the time you left, you were making a lot of dough, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I thought it would go on forever. Yeah. I really didn't think it would ever end. And I wasn't very smart with the money I was making. It's like, it's going to continue forever. Yeah, we all did that. I wasn't partying or doing anything uh, outlandishly foolish with it, but I just, you know, didn't. Anyway, that's that's a different thing. But so the show uh, ends. The sh I had my two episodes, and then 
my agent, Jack, Jack Rose, uh, says they're, they want to bring you back. And unbeknownst to me, Ted had gone to Arnie Sultan and said, you got to bring that kid back. That was the guy who fired me, Arnie Sultan. He couldn't. Arnie <laughs> <laughs> Sultan. He said, who fired you? Uh, yeah, he, I, I introduced him as uh, another producer who had passed away recently. I don't know why. I guess mm. I had read the obituary that day in the trades and introduced him as the dead guy. And, and uh, I was fired. <laughs> That night? That night. After oh the show. And his son took my place. Uh, Rick? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You know what? He could be such a dick. But <laughs> he was, you know, he did, what, Get Smart and all those yeah, shows? Yeah, did a lot I of mean, stuff. he did a lot of stuff. Yeah. So they hired you full time. So so Ted said, you know, and the, the truth of the matter is, Ted's humor was sort of belittling and, and, you know, he needed a scapegoat. Yes. And he couldn't do that to his two girls. No. And he certainly couldn't do that to his wife. And so all of a sudden I come along and, and I don't think it's because I brought any particular magic to the show. I think it could have been anyone, but it just worked well that I re- I was the receiver of his, you idiots. Yeah. And, and very it worked. Well. The chemistry well. was there. And so, yeah, then I became a regular on it. Nice. Yeah. So you do that and they cancel it and you say to yourself, well, there'll be another job around the corner. Right. And was there another job around the corner? Hollywood Squares. Came right away. Uh, no. It was like a year, maybe a year and a half, you know. And I, and then, you know, you think you're, well, don't we all, when a job ends, think, I'm never going to work again. Yeah. That's the bane of the ex- existence of an actor, of I course. think. No matter how good it is, no matter how popular you are, you think this is it. And it's, and it's like, you, I've made it to my age so far, so... That's not true, but um, every day I always thought I was getting fired. You know, even when I was doing Double Dare, we had a long run. I did on whatever I did. I just figured sooner or later they're going to figure this out and they're going to replace me. Really? So, yeah. No. So, yeah. Oh, I never felt one hundred percent comfortable. Uh, you know, because you just, that's the way the industry is, you know, so many times, just like the story about you were going to have the lead in the movie, I came close on a couple of things like that as well. I was going to host a show called Your Numbers Up on NBC. Uh, I had, I hadn't even hosted uh, Double Dare yet and they wanted me to host this NBC show and there was a a producer, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but was really behind me and I went in that whole weekend and he said, the job is yours and I said, okay, great. And uh, the mo- phone rings Monday because they were supposedly making the deal. And he goes, I have bad news for you. And I had told my wife and my kids and my family, and I was just sure I was going to be on NBC Monday through Friday. And they said um, the network wanted somebody with a little more experience. And they hired Nipsey Russell <laughs> to, to host the show uh, instead of me. It lasted 13 weeks and out. And that was my first, oh, my God. Heartbreak. I, I couldn't believe it. And then I was supposed to host the Hollywood Square's Tom Bergeron edition. And that's when I came out with OCD. And uh, they said, he's nuts. He can't do this show. And so after the announcement was made at the CBS affiliates meeting and everybody gave a standing ovation, I get the phone call. And they shot promos with me um, that Tom Bergeron was now replacing me because I had OCD and I was crazy. And so you get- You're kidding. No, 100% true. Oh my God. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I guess we're all a little insecure and a little nuts. Oh yeah. Because until you're in the studio at week seven and the checks have cleared, you still think this can't be real. Oh yeah. No, a a perfect example of that in my life was uh, jumping after Hollywood Squares and doing the talk show I had with Tammy. I want to talk about that. And- uh, I was told after I, you know, even though that didn't work out, 
But I was, I, people said to me, all of the producers, Dan Weaver and all of them were saying, your road is paved. People have seen that you're really good in this medium. You're going to continue getting work in this and nothing, nothing ever, nothing yeah. ever. Yeah. And that was when I was 40 and it's still waiting for something to happen. <laughs> but anyway. Well, Squares uh, was great because uh, you got to do great. whatever you wanted to Squares do. Squares was awesome. Yeah. And and be wherever you want. I was telling someone just the other day that when we went to the Bahamas, uh -huh. <laughs> they uh, wanted me and John Davison to do a, a spoof on Fantasy Island. Okay. So they buried me to my knees no, they, in the you sand. You were playing yeah. Hervé Villages? Ta tattoo? Yeah. Yeah. And so what it was is I was going to, John Davison's in a white suit. He's standing there and I'm supposed to tug on his suit jacket and go, boss, the plane, the plane. <laughs> and there really was a seaplane that landed oh and the celebrities got off the seaplane. Oh my. So the sun was, it was like early morning. The sun's in your eyes. You can't see anything. And I go, I go like this and I hit him in the nuts so hard. I go, boss. <laughs> he, it oh took my God. 15 minutes for <laughs> To us. breathe again, huh? Oh, but I got to go back to, to close for comfort. I can say this on the air. Um, this is one episode, this is one of my favorite episodes that I never get to talk about because you can't on, like, you know. But there was an episode where this really pretty girl, she was on the show, and for whatever reason, she was beautiful, big tits, and, you know, and whatever reason, she passes out on Henry's and Muriel's bed. Mm -hmm. So, and Mrs. Rush is not in the house. So Ted is freaking out. So he comes down, he gets me, Monroe, Monroe, you got to help me. You got to help me. And I think, well, let's roll her up like a burrito and take her down the stairs. So we roll her up in the blanket or in a rug, I forget. And then we carry her out. Right. House. So he goes, Monroe, but before that happened in front of the audience, he goes, and I never, I can't believe I did this. He goes, Moreau, Moreau, you got to help me. What are we going to do? <laughs> Let's fuck her. <laughs> and I mean, it was like, <laughs> she, she, I mean, that I would throw, be thrown in prison today what, if I did that. What did the audience do? Oh, the audience, there was this... <laughs> This moment, just long enough of a moment for me to think my career is it's over, over with, right? But the cameras literally went, uh, I bet and <laughs> the audience was screaming. Ted was sick. He was laughing so hard. And it, and she was laughing. The, she was. the girl was such a great sport. She was fantastic. Oh, my God. And it really took us, like, <laughs> really, it took ago. us 15 minutes. Because we'd brilliant. start, and then we would... In, I would I, love to see that that tape. You know, I would too. <laughs> oh but my there, god! There's a woman that was she was talent uh, talent coordinator or whatever on the show. I don't remember what your, your titles are, but we're still in touch. And she talks about every time I call her. <laughs> she says my favorite. That still makes me laugh. That's Let's fuck her. <laughs> Do you remember the actress's name? No, no. <laughs> she was, um, you know, yeah. big and all this and Jeez. all the right places. Oh my god, that's that's fantastic. Well, so. I, first time I did squares, um, you know, this is the paranoia that I have. I was afraid when I, I got cast, I was in Philadelphia shooting Double Dare, and I was afraid the plane was going to crash before I got to. I mean, you know, all the paranoia of, of you know, I'm finally going to get in Hollywood squares. And oh my God. Um, I, I'm uh, in the, uh, as you face the audience to the left, Zsa Zsa Gabor was the center square that day. Oh. oh. And, yes. 
And the first thing she said, I'm scared out of my mind. I can't believe I'm on the set of Hollywood Squares. And, you know, there's all these people that I've recognized my whole life. And there's John. And I see Jaja. And the first thing she says to me, she turns around, shows me her ass and says, does my ass look big in this dress? What am I supposed to say? No, Jaja, your your ass looks fantastic. I know there's freaking Jaja Gabor asking me if her ass. Now, <laughs> were you on, was the show in progress? Yeah. No, no, that wasn't in progress. No, no, right before we were getting ready to, to go. Yeah. Yeah, because she, I was in a square next to her, and she was like, uh, you know, she didn't, the show was being taped. She had no idea. She had no idea. She had and, broken a nail the day I was there, and she wanted a manicurist to come up and fix it, you know? Well, you you know, whenever I would go to the, to the set, going to the dressing room, there would be no light bulbs or toilet paper, and that's like... Uh, there's no light bulbs. Oh, Jaja had this room last week. Oh, no kidding. She, she would steal it? She stole the toilet paper and the light bulbs. Oh, my God. What is right? that I about? don't know. That... But one day we were shooting the show, and you know how they had the TV monitors, and yeah. so you could see all yeah. the people, you know, the, the the stars could see. Yep. And so it's a soap actress. And in the middle of her answering the question, because Jaja hadn't been called on, she was in the... The middle square up at the top. Yeah, Those never... were not the called on. Exactly. Often. It was the corners in the middle. She goes, who is this woman? Why are they calling on her? Why don't they call on me? And it's like, shut up. Step it. We're on the oh air. You know, I couldn't believe she was just going on. Like, you know, anyway. I remember you would crazy. climb like down from things. I mean, you were insane on that show. That was a good run. That was what, five or six years, I bet, right? No, that was only like two or three really? years. Really? That, that was, was it? about two and a half years. Because I came and, the, you know, and it. I started in 1980. Oh, my gosh. It's like six and it ended in 89. 89? Yeah. And, you know, Orion went bankrupt. Yeah. And it was, would have continued on, but Orion kind of. Yeah, it, kind of messed things up messed at the time. Messed things up, yeah. Guess what? You know what John Davidson's doing these days? No, I don't. I have seen pictures of him, though. Why? He has a, uh, uh, a nightclub in a place called, I think it's Sandwich, New Hampshire. And he calls it, if you're ready for this, Club Sandwich. And he plays there on weekends and he has other talent there and I guess he lives in that neck of the woods and uh, he looks like a million bucks he's in his 80s he still has all that hair yeah. and uh, and he's singing doing his thing you know wow good for him yeah I love John he was always a nice guy John was he was so nice to me always so nice you know we did Hollywood we did Radio City Music Hall yes and uh, you know in the studio over at, at Universal or when we were at Fox, whatever. They've all changed so much. Yep. But we were at Universal a long time. And I would say, I'd call him an idiot on air. I'd go, you idiot. <laughs> or whatever. And it was like, no big. So we get to cut to Radio City Music Hall. And I, I call him an idiot in front of <laughs> 6,000 people. Yeah. And so in my dressing room, I open the door. It's John. And he goes, can, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah, come on in. Come on in. He goes, you know, Jim, I would never, ever do anything to to curtail your, your humor. You're so funny and everything. But he said, you know, can you please not call me an idiot really? here in, in Radio City Music Hall? He said, it's it's different with 6,000 people as opposed to a studio audience wow. where there's 200. He said, so. And I, I said, of course I'm not going to. You know, but once we got back, it was like, idiot, 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 you know. (laughs) But, you know, he was such a lovely man and so generous and... First Those time I did the show, time. Shadow Stevens was the announcer. And I used to do imperson, imper, impersonations of him on Double Dare because he used to go, John Davidson, <laughs> like great. that. And I would make impression and do that. Well, I did it on the show that day next to him. And he did not 
like it at Shadow? all. Shadow? Shadow, and they edited it out of the show, as a matter of fact. Oh, my God. And to this day, if he sees me, he kind of goes the other direction, because I guess he got you know, mad that I mocked him. But, I mean, I just thought it was such a bizarre way to introduce somebody. But, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. I've never been in the, uh, apparently, Mark Summers fan club with uh, Shadow Stevens. But uh, Do you know, I'm sure I'm sure you know, uh, Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. I've done the show a couple of times. Have you done it? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But he did Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares was, he should have never been booked on Hollywood Squares. No. That wasn't really... Not his cup of tea. That was not him. And, you know, he, again, he was in the shit squares, yep. you know, that don't get called. And he was right below me because I'm in the upper right-hand square, so he's in the square below me. And he, like, would go you know, episodes, like shows, before getting called. So, and I didn't know. I was completely oblivious. I, you know, I was, was getting, getting all upset? the attention I needed. So in his one of his books, and he's a very nice man. Yeah. And, and, but in one of his books, he talks about Hollywood Squares. In his first one, uh, I want to say Miss America uh, something, but um, he talks about getting a view of Jim J. Bullock's ass that only his <laughs> proctologist should have. Oh, my God. And, you know, he said he was king shit. Everyone was calling him. No one ever called on me <laughs> but Jim J. King shit Bullock. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I've done the show, and uh, I always say there's two different Howard Stearns. Um, he plays that role extremely well. Uh, nobody does interviews better than him, but when he's off the air, he's just the nicest, sweetest guy you've ever wanted he is, to meet. In your but career. it is a persona. Yeah. It is definitely a persona. It, no question about it. And my favorite thing is after I would do the show, I would run down to the car because he would always make comments about you <laughs> after the fact. And the first time I did the show, I, I think it was the first time, um, he was in great shape. He had just started running and exercising, this and that. And I had only seen him on television, never seen him live in a person. And I kept making comments about how great he looked. And uh, just as I was leaving, I said, well, where do you exercise? I, I run every day in Central Park. I said, don't people bother you? No, this and that. So I get in the car and he goes, you know, I, I think Mark Summers is gay. He kept asking about uh, how I looked and how those guys look. And, you know, which I, I, I love the fact that, you know, he's doing shtick like that on you. <clears throat> he's the smartest guy in so many different ways. And he's obviously revolutionized uh, satellite radio. Uh, but that's very funny that he Surely. was concerned that uh, he wasn't getting called on. Man. He wasn't getting called on at all. He did not enjoy his week on Hollywood Squares. So, so you you're busy for all this time, and you know things that you didn't plan on having happen happened, and you get done with Squares, and then what? Well, you know Hollywood Squares ended, and then uh, kind of right away, Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers, who was so kind to me mm-hmm. and was so lovely. She uh, really took a liking to me, and she got me signed with her big-time Hollywood manager, Bill Samoth. Yeah. And Bill Samoth had three clients, Cher, Olivia Newton-John, and Joan Rivers. Wow. So he signed me. Wow. And kind of nothing happened. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. Oh, uh, one thing that did happen, I got on ALF. I got on ALF the last season. So I was... I don't remember that. I was Paul Fusco, uh, we went to college together. He's one of my dearest friends. Well, I didn't... How, what was it, that character that you played? It was not a very good, enjoyable time for him. I played Neil Tanner's brother. And what and was not fun? The way it was, it was shot was It was a miserable brutal. set. Yes, I it mean, was. people were... You know, I've just come off Hollywood Squares where it's a party. I yeah. mean, it was such a party. And going to, like, some warehouse yes, in Culver in, City right. to where there was no life outside the studio. No, no place and to eat, nowhere to go. No, and, and no life inside the studio. And no audience, and, and it, everything's no built audience, up. And it took forever to shoot that fucking show because they had to dig trenches yep. for the 
fucking puppet to move from yep. point A to point B. And it would just take forever. And so everyone just kind of went and locked themselves in the dressing room. There was no camaraderie or, or visiting. Everybody hated everybody. I, I just felt like I was, I wasn't really you, the choice that they, they wanted but because of Bill Samoth. I feel that they sort of just squeezed me in there. Right. And so I, I really felt like I was wrong for the role. Like Howard Stern was not right for Hollywood Squares. I just felt like I wasn't right, right for the role. But anyway, I did like seven episodes of the last season, and then it ended. And then I sort of went into uh, the white room. Where yeah, the nothing. ether of, yes, yeah. where the hell are we? <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you just hear the, the, the wind in the background. But the phone wasn't ringing saying, get me Jim J. Bullock. Yes, nothing. So I you're what, early 40s now? I couldn't get arrested. I was mid-30s. Mid-30s? Yeah, mid-30s. Uh, couldn't get arrested. Uh, and then one day I get an, I get an, an Bill Samoth and I, uh, we went our separate ways. Lovely man, but we went our separate ways. And I had Sherry Ingram was my manager. And she said, I have an audition for you and it's over and, you know, you know where they all all oh yeah to, you know, so I went over and and I read and and it was for a series called Boogie's Diner, which there used to be Boogie's Diners in in uh, all across the country. Kind of remember them. They were a high end clothing store for kids. They were very trendy and and very hip and happening. Then upstairs, in every Boogie's Diner, there was a fifties diner. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me. But anyway, they decided to do a series on that. So I went and I was auditioning for the, like the principal in Saved by the Bell. It was a very Saved by the Bell. Mm. So I'm auditioning for the principal role, that actor, whatever his name is. Yeah, can't Matter of fact, when I went in for my audition, he was walking out and he goes, oh, you'll be great in this role. So oh, I my. go in and the casting director films me, you know, nobody around, just her. And she, I read it and I felt very good about it. She goes, okay, can we, can we... Do that one more time, and can you maybe? I went butch it up. <laughs> she, <laughs> she said yes. She said, yeah. Oh my! So uh, we read it again. She goes, you know what? I'm going to send the first take. Oh my! <laughs> and it was, oh, uh, Gordon. He did the love boat. Oh, uh... that, that's who it's. It was his baby. Huh. Anyway, I got that, and I went to Toronto for two years. Oh my. And shot Boogie's Diner. Uh, James Marsden, it was his first job. Nice. So, and it was a, a great group, a, a fabulous group. But again, no one ever saw Boogie's Diner. Wow, yeah. And then I come back and that's when I get a call from this Dan Weaver saying, I'm over here at Fox Lab. And uh, they had just seen Tammy Faye on the Lisa Gibbons show. And John over at Lisa Gibbons, whatever his name is, uh, called up Dan Weaver and said, oh my God, Tammy has just done our show. She's got to be back on TV. You have to get her back on TV. So they met with Tammy and she was all down for a talk show. But now the public's image of her was somewhat of a freak. Right. She my looks, image of her was a freak. Yeah, she was a strange, semi-religious woman married to a guy but got divorced from the guy because I guess he was, I don't know, doing things with money that he shouldn't have been doing or whatever. Right, right. So when they called you, did you go, this is a joke? I didn't know. He said, we have an idea. And and, and so they all agreed at Fox that she should have her own, she'd have a show again, wow. but they, she's got to be coupled with someone. So who are you going to couple with Tammy Faye Baker? I mean, 
they really went the gamut and they went gay, gay, <gasps> a gay man. So they, I was on a short list. Jim J and Tammy Faye. Yeah. So I, he calls me up and says, I want to meet with you. We have an idea. Would you be interested in doing a talk show? And it's like, oh my God. And so. Uh, <laughs> what was the audition like? I didn't audition. He no. took me to coffee and he said, so, and all the time I'm sitting there going, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? Who is it? Who is it? Yeah. You know, is it Nancy Dussault? Yeah. Who are you thinking about partnering me with? And finally he says, so we're thinking about Tammy Faye. And I went, Tammy Faye Baker? <laughs> and my exact <laughs> words were, but she's fucking crazy. <laughs> exactly she's my, fucking my, crazy. my words. And he said, well, would you like to meet her? And I said, oh, my God. Yes. I said, of course I've I would love to meet her. I've always wanted to be an evangelistic her. singer. At like. that time, the big thing was uh, these T-shirts, and it had all this color on it, and it was just smeared, and it said, I ran into Tammy Faye at the mall. <laughs> and so um, she came up. She and, and Ro came up from Palm Springs. They were living there at the time, and we met at Fox Labs, and, and, and they gave us three tabloids. And we just met each other. And the moment I met her, that when she walked in the door, she's so small. Yes, tiny. And I went, wow, her eyes were stunning. So pretty, so blue, so crystal. And then her hair was tragic. But everything <laughs> else about her was beautiful. And uh, we just immediately hit, it, hit off. it off. So they had like a little handheld camera. And you were what, riffing off the... the yes, the, give really? us in host intro and sort of a middle and an end. And so... There was no ever a uh, problem with Tammy. No, she could talk. She had an opinion. Uh, she could talk about anything and everything, and we just opened those tabloids, and she just started talking, and she was in her element, and I was having fun with her. So they took this shitty little tape that had no lighting, <laughs> no nothing, no, not lighting like this, overhead office fluorescent lighting, and they would put it in there. What do you call those when you, when you would have show the shows of the upcoming season to an audience? Oh yeah, they would do like previews and things. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes, and and get their opinion yes. about what do you focus want groups? To, focus groups, and um, they would just slip that in. And here are all these shows that Fox is going to be doing, and people were like going, "We want to see more of that talk show with that that Tammy Faye." Really, and so that's when they started doing. Uh, live runs of the show that were taped but never for air and in a studio and we did them every every week for like six weeks and I mean it built it really built a following people yeah. were coming to see this and then it was sold into a pilot that was very iffy and sure enough that pilot was sold and it was such a it was so ahead of its time uh me being gay was ahead of its time, uh, an, a, an out gay person on TV. What year was this? 1994. Hard to think that that's too soon. Isn't that yeah. right? I mean, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I mean, because Monroe was never meant to be gay. No. No, he was just, But you know, Paul Lynn wasn't meant to be gay either, you know? Right. And on Hollywood Squares, I, I kind of threw that and just went, you know, I'm very Popeye. I am what I am. Yeah. You know, and... uh and then I felt like I sort of hit this skid in, in the early 90s because I had come out and it was not a good time to be gay in, in the industry with AIDS mm. and everyone was so terrified of, of that. And you can just catch it by talking to a gay person. Yeah. You know, no people, nobody, nobody knew. knew. Nobody knew. So anyway, here comes the show. And, and so they sold it and, and, and we did. How many? 
50 episodes with Tammy. And then, then it went away. Why did it go away? Then she got her cancer diagnosis. Oh. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a phone call. And so she had to leave the show. And then they hired. Was it Ann Abernathy? Ann Abernathy was a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Very confident. Competent. And, and, the, but didn't the, have the spark. It didn't. It went from the Jim J. Tammy Faye show to the Jim J. Ann show. Uh, and but nobody knew who she really was. What? Nobody knew who, who Ann Abernathy no, was. No, no. And it, for me, it was kind of, I enjoyed it because with Tammy, I kind of had to be the straight person. Yeah. Because that someone had unusual. to direct the ship. <laughs> yes. Because so she had no control, I'm sure. I mean, she, why do we have to go to commercial break? <laughs> oh, my God. You know? It was like people were, she was so used to doing P- PTL and like paint that wall and they'd paint that they wall. They would do whatever she wanted. Yes. To being in secular television where it's like, you know, anyway, it just didn't have the same zing. But we did about a hundred more episodes with wow. Anne, you know. Good for you. So, but, you know, then I think the, the Partner Station Network lost their oomph for it. So yeah. it just kind of went by the wayside. Amazing. And I was devastated because of that because I was loved that and I, I really... You get to be yourself. Yes, and I thought it would be really fun and once Anne took over, I did get to be myself. Yeah. I was the silly one. Right. I was the one who was ju- running all over the studio and she was and trying she to was control driving, you. She was driving the, the ship, you know. What was her background? Who? Anne. Anne Abernathy? Yeah. She was with Regis back in the day before Kathy Lee. Really? Uh, I kind of remember but but I don't, you know? And yeah, I, just I, and I don't know if it was in the L.A. Because, you know, Regis was in the L.A. market before yeah. he went to New York. Yes. And so I think she was with him here. Oh, it might have been. I don't remember. might have been. And then you disappeared for a while, from me anyway. I, I was in touch. And then the next thing I find out, you're doing theater everywhere. You were playing, like someplace, I want to say Utah. Is that right? Where you were playing, yeah. uh-huh. you know, five different shows, five different characters. Because kind of I've situation. become a Mormon now. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, 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 <laughs> That's no, uh, no. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I did. I disappeared. I went through a really kind of uh, interesting time in my life where I, you know, I've always been so uh, sober and level-headed, and uh, and my partner all, all along this time with the Jim J. Tammy Face Show and everything, he had AIDS and he died in 1996. So when John died. And the show ended in 96. I was sort of devastated. So I went into the party scene. Mm. And I got a little in trouble. Crystal with, Meth, With right? Crystal Meth. And uh, it took me, you know, angels around me and uh, a great foundation in my life to come out of that. And, How long were you doing that? And Hairspray. Uh, I did it heavily for three years. Wow. And then I got in trouble. I got arrested. So where were you arrested? In an alley. Really? What, buying? No. I was coming out of a notorious... It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and this was a notorious tweaker bar, and I'd been there all night. Yeah. So I'm coming out. My car's parked right there, uh, right behind the... It's right on Santa Monica. It's not even there anymore. But I come out these two bicycle cops, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, come down the alleyway. And they see me coming out of there, and I'm sure I'm sure my hair was this, <laughs> and you know my eyes were you know like you know fucking Wiley Coyote, and uh, and there's my BMW Z3 that I'm about to get in, and they come over and start talking to me, and they said something about do you have anything on you? Well, I didn't have to, I I wasn't. St- 
stutter. I wasn't stammering and I was, you know, my pupils were that big, but <laughs> they had no reason. But anyway, they did. And it was God's call. It was the God shot in my life that, to clean my fucking act up. So they put you in jail? Uh, they put me in jail. I never went to prison. Uh, I, I did go on the California diversion program. I, I had to do so many hours of stuff. And for a year, I was on probation. But, you know, I was, I escaped that. And, very lucky. Very luckily. Yeah. And, and, uh, so that was my wake-up call. So you don't just walk away from something like that. You do go back every once in a while, test the water. But when you do, you go right back to the bottom. Really? You don't go to the top anymore. You, there is no mountaintop anymore. You go right back to where it was mm -hmm. awful and, and horrible. So I did that a couple of times. And then uh, I got hairspray. And I, I blew a monkey to get hairspray. I mean, to tell you. You I, pictures of that? I, <laughs> I wanted I that job so badly. So why was it that that job was so special for because, you? Because, well, I didn't know about it. I, I literally was uh, painting. I was doing handyman work and I was painting. No. A, yes, I was painting a, uh, a, this house, the inside of a house, and I was working in oil, you know, uh, for the trim. So wait a minute. So you're, you're, you're getting a job to pay the rent to, yeah, I'm doing whatever I can, what you can to get through. And do people say, oh, my God, that's that guy from television? Oh, I have so many stories that people recognize me at Home Depot at 6.45 in the morning when I'm there to get paint. And they're saying, why are you here? Or? Oh, yeah. One time I was at Home Depot getting shit, and I got in the car, <laughs> and I had my little uh, Nissan Pulsar with one eye. The, the, the one one light wouldn't come up. So one light was, was like always winking up. at you. So I was always winking at you. And I get my, and the, you know, you had the radio on, you turn it off, you turn the car back on, the radio comes on. And the first thing I hear is, I hate Jim J. Bullock. No. And it was this uh, DJ who had people calling in saying, who, what celebrity do you hate the most? Oh my God. So, so Good right God. at the moment, I, hate, I turned the car. I hate Jim J. Oh, Bullock. my God. And just, I had a lot of instances like that. Oh well, my, my agent calls. This is, I had not even a flip phone. They're not even the razor. This is the when they were little, yeah. you know? Yeah. Talking to him, he says, yeah, they want you in New York to audition for Hairspray to replace Harvey. And I said, yeah, I'm painting in oils. I got to go. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so, you know? Anyway, it, that started a process. I didn't go to New York. I put it put together a tape. Here and sent it in to tell. So they want you to be Edna. No, they didn't want me to be Edna. My manager, my new manager, Ryan Glasgow, thought that I would be great as Edna. Right. And so um, they're not going to hire me, you know. So they went with Michael McKeon. Mm, I remember that. But I got in because they said he's not right for Edna, but he's sure right for this show, which I, it is a show for me. So I came in doing Mel Authority, and, and then, you know, I went on from there doing Wilbur. And like I said, I got fat enough to do Edna. And, and you I did, did Edna for years. I did Edna. I did, I did Edna in the Carpenter Center in Long Beach. I did Edna in Denver. I did Edna... Uh, I, I worked for Royal Caribbean when uh, Royal Caribbean has hairspray on. I did two contracts on Royal Caribbean oh as Edna. Was that fun being on the cruise like that? Uh, you know, it was on the Oasis, the, those ships, which are the biggest cruise lines. And there, have you ever been on one of those? No, and I'll tell you why. I, back in the day when I was doing magic to make a living, I used to have friends who would go out on, you know, Princess or whatever. And they said, if you went out and scored 
and then you had to interact with the people. It was the best feeling in the world. But he said, if you bombed, you had to keep interacting with those people for the entire week. And he yeah. said, I would hide in my room sometimes because I just, I, you know, wasn't connecting. Doing stand-up? Yeah, doing stand-up, uh-huh. doing magic and stuff. And so I used to get offers from Princess, and I turned every one of them down because I was scared out of my mind that I was going to go on this cruise and bomb and then have to see these people every day. So I never did it. But I had friends who made a lot of money doing those things. Yeah, I have. Uh, but you, you probably would have been flown in and flown out. Yeah, and all that stuff. For, but it just, you know... I, Taking chances at times scares the hell out of me. And I was never that good of a stand-up, you know? I I was using it like you to get to, yeah, another point. And, you know, the guys that I used to run into all the time, you know, well, the Jays and Daves and, uh, you know, David Brenner's, these people ate, slept, drank, and breathed stand-up comedy 24-7. Loved it. I didn't. Um, I, I wanted to do it, but you know what? I just wasn't that funny. They used to call me the accountant comedian um, because everybody else was single. I was the only married comic at the time, um, and I was like super straight. I to this day I've never done drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette. And back then in 1976, I would see uh, Pryor coming out of the you know the bathroom with the you know white powder around his nose. So you know it was a different time and a difficult time for me to be there. Yeah. Um, so it never worked for me. Um, and I got my, you know, I was lucky through warm-ups in the Magic Castle to get from point A to point B. And But I was also pushy as hell. I was never going to take no for an answer. And every time somebody, I, I had an uh, executive NBC said, uh, uh, Berkowitz, Berkowitz, yeah, uh, that's too Jewish a name. I'll never hire you. And your nose is, is too Jewish. You need to change your nose. And, you know, and I always just say, yeah, you'll be fired in six weeks. And they generally weren't. I'd meet the next guy. And sooner or later, somebody figured it out. Now, I was... 34 years old before I started to make a living doing this, but I didn't give up. And I think that's part of the story here that we're telling is, you know, you were willing to paint houses, but you knew that there was another job around the corner. At least you hope there was. You hope. You hope. And and you, you hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and there was. And there was. always been another one. Yeah. You know, you might have to do whatever you need to do in the to meantime pay the bills. to get to that other place. Like I said, I wasn't smart with my money. I had opportunities, that, you know, and I kept my stand-up going. I, I, I've often joked about I could have at least had Howie Mandel's job. <laughs> but but you know what? Howie Mandel's great, and he, he yeah. look at what he's done. Yeah. But I gave up stand-up the moment. You could. Ted said to me one morning, one Monday morning or something he said you don't need that you don't need that shit anymore kid you're on a you're on a hit network show and i that's all i needed I and then you were done. done. I don't think i ever i never went back and had i kept it going even though i didn't love it but everything does end yeah and so had i had i kept it up i at least would have had that mm-hmm. and i could have built on it and uh Anyway, I didn't. So yeah. So here I am painting houses <laughs> and uh, interior. I was never an exterior person, <laughs> but uh, you know. Uh, so I went to New York and I did audition for the creative team of Hairspray, and I got in, and and I, it was it was just a jet ride for me. And I you and I like, did. What, I'm years? like an amphibian turnblad. I, pay, I played both male <laughs> and female, and uh, and I I love that show, and and that really put me back on a. A wave of working again. Sure. You know how it comes in waves. Yes. And, and it's like, it just seems like it's, you're in a desert, and you are in a desert, but th- there will be more work. Yeah. And so, uh, so that sort of led to other things, a lot of theater. I did a lot of theater all around the country, and then I did two and a half years on tour with Kinky Boots. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So that's sort of what... 
uh, the last thing, I, the last really big thing I did, I did Fun show. Boots from 15 to 17. Wow. That must be Is there any show that you've, like I saw you do Bye Bye Birdie, do the, the Paul Enroll. Did you? Yes, yes. Um, oh, my God. I think God. where the hell that was. But, that was uh, out at Cabrillo. Yeah, I'm trying to in think. Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, oh and you were perfect for that role. <laughs> I was, yeah. You know, I did that when I was in high school. That was what, I, that's what made me fall in love with acting. Really? I did Bye Bye Birdie, and I did Paul Lynn, and uh, this is an interesting story. Um in Odessa, Texas, I went to Permian High School, and Paul Lynn's assistant, and I'm so embarrassed I'm forgetting his name right now because he was a great guy. Anyway, his mother was in Odessa, and he was there taking care of his mother, but he was Paul Lynn's assistant. And it was, you know, weekend and whenever, 1974, and he saw that Bye Bye Birdie was happening at Permian, Permian High School, so he came and saw the show. Oh, my. And he called Paul in and said, Paul, if you can get down here, Come you on. have to see this kid. Do oh, you? my God. It's so it's so on point for, you know, he, wow. and he never did. But did you ever meet Paul? I never met Paul. In, ni- in 1980, he was doing a special at ABC Prospect. Mm-hmm. And I went over because I was before anything happened for me. And I was on the catwalks and he mm-hmm. was down below. But I never had the courage to say anything to him. A very funny story. A friend of mine, uh, Lenny Ripps, a writer. Uh, was writing, you know, they used to have a thing called the Kenley Players. Oh, yeah. Remember those? Did you work for Kenley? I never worked the Kenley Players, but it was like Dayton, Columbus, Cincinnati, and this guy brought out the biggest names at the time, and they would do Summer Stock, which Summer Stock doesn't exist anymore. Right. And Paul would go every year uh, out there and play some role, and he was going to go out and do an hour of stand-up. Well, Paul didn't really do stand-up, so this guy was writing for him, and he wrote, uh, a, a gay joke, and Paul said, "Nobody knows I'm gay." And and you know, are you kidding? Yeah, he said, you know, uh, this was in. Let's see, I was working on the Mac Davis show, so it was 1976 ish, and Paul believed that nobody thought he was gay. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, I connected to him on Bewitched. That's oh. when I first saw him, and I went. There's something about him yes. that I don't know why. I wasn't attracted to him, but I there was a connection. I heard a story where Paul, after one of his, maybe a Kinley, he t- went into the, uh, he took questions after the show, mm-hmm. after the curtain call and sure. everything. And some audience member, some woman went, yes, are you married and do you have children? Oh my. And he goes, lady, what rock have you been under? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, you know? I mean. I guess was... by that point he had decided he was going to be openly gay. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the stories are not nice about him. I mean, apparently he was an alcoholic and not a happy man. Yeah. Which was very sad because, you know, the amount of joy and humor that he brought to the world oh, Jesus. was, I used to laugh my ass off whenever I would see him, you know, so certainly much. the Bye Bye Birdie role was, you know, brilliant back in the day. So much, so much fun. He was so great. He so is there so a role great. that you want to do that you haven't had the opportunity to do? Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I did last, you're going to laugh, but uh, there's a program in Palm Springs called MTU, which is Musical Theater University, mm-hmm. and it's an after-school program for kids that are serious about going into the arts, mm. and it's all, it's free, There's you just have to audition to get in, and these kids do four productions a year, they, this, this guy, David Green, works 
their asses off, but really prepares them good, in a huh? way that I wish I could have been prepared mm-hmm. for what was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. So these guys, these kids are going into the professional theater knowing what it's all about. And so they do, he does three musicals a year, and he brings in names for the roles. Uh, and so they did the prom last spring, and I w- have wanted to do the prom ever since it came out in 2018, nice. 19. And I thought, I'm too old. I really am a little too old for it. But anyway, I got to do it. Nice. And, and it was high school kids doing high school kids, and then the adults were me, Alec Corey, who was a Broadway veteran, and it was so much fun. So nice. I would like to do more of that. I'd love to do the prom anywhere. And of course, I would love to do more TV. And there's a, what is the game show that's on right now, hosted by uh, Pictionary? Oh, Pictionary, yeah. Who's it hosted by? Oh, I don't remember, but, uh, uh, but I know who you're talking about. Anyway, I'm about. great on, at that. So, I'm, yeah. I'm so good. It used to be Windows or Draw. Windows or Draw. I did that a million times. And so it's like, I told my agent, I said, get me on that show. Now, I know I'm not, Current, yeah. I so know. they would do a classic television week, mm. and then I could be one of the. How's that going? Are there any? Uh, I don't know. Really? I don't know if it's ever even been discussed. But uh, it's such a great show, and so I would like to do things like that. But in truth, I'm kind of really enjoying not. Yeah, I'm very busy with volunteer work. I my I'm very active in my church. I've got a great life. Sounds like know? it. You know, back in the day, the deal was. You'd have a publicist, and I forget what I used to pay my publicist, whatever it was, it was too much. But the deal was they would get you on Win, Lose, or Draw, yep. or Hollywood Squares, or yep. whatever, and they would pay, uh, that would pay for your publicist, so yes. it was a wash, and it, and it worked out well. Right. And there were a million game shows to do, Match Game and all that stuff. It doesn't exist anymore. No. And the same thing, I wanted to do Pyramid or whatever. You know, <laughs> I'm old news. Nobody, Mark who? I mean, sometimes, you know, people say, hey, can I have your autograph? And I'll say, uh, Unwrapped or uh, Double Dare? And they go... What's Double Dare? And so, like, you know, they're 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 they have no idea of some of the things I've done in the past. And you know, you get to that point that, you know, you, you just age out. I, I was talking the other day. I was at a friend's house, and I mentioned I think Jack Benny and his son, who was in his mid twenties, said, "I have no idea who Jack Benny is." And I thought, wow. never in my life did I think somebody would say, "I don't know who Jack Benny." I was at an NBC meeting once, and I swear to God, this happened. I mentioned Johnny Carson, and the guy across the table who was like a fetus wearing a tie said to me, Carson, yeah, I've heard of him. No. Yeah. At NBC, Carson, I've heard of him. And I thought to myself, I just want to shoot myself in the head at this very moment. When I started in the industry in 1973, I had never seen your show of shows with, you know, uh, uh, Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca, but I knew everything about it. And I find that the executives and the people who are running the business this day— I have no idea of what happened before they got here. And it, I know there's uh, 50 years more of what I saw versus what these guys have to see now. And with cable, and there's a million goddamn shows all over the well, place. That's and, the problem. You know, you see these award shows, and I look to my wife and I go, I've never heard of one of these, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a different time. But on the same token, uh, I sound like D- Dangerfield here. And uh, uh, believe me, I'm not complaining. I- I'm doing fine. Uh, but there's no respect for what came before them and people such as yourself who have had all these successes and continue to be extremely funny and people go, no, I don't think so. Because they want influencers, whatever the hell that right. means. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, the, you know, uh, I won't even mention their name, uh, but, you know, the Paris Hilton kind of folks, 
that means nothing to me. Um, but apparently to an audience, it does. You can make money now by telling somebody to buy a particular kind of water and then they'll pay you $22 million because you said it and you have so many viewers. <laughs> you know, it's a different industry. It is so dramatically. I don't yeah. even know it. I don't I, get it. You know, and, and there are, I will say, I think television is better today than it's ever been. Uh, shows are so damn what good. What do you watch? Well, I, I don't really watch network TV. Okay, right now I'm watching Breaking Bad again for like the third time. Uh, <laughs> but show. it's so damn good. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, I, I, I just watched Ted Lasso. I just finished mm -hmm. that. And, and Jury Duty, which is more of a reality-based show with James Morrison. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so funny. Uh, shows like that, you know, I, I try to keep up on the hottest uh, – you know, streaming thing, but I I fall way short because I don't have that much time to watch TV. There's no appointment TV. You know, it used to be you know Thursday nights you had to watch you know whatever was I know. on NBC. It doesn't exist anymore. I know. I, I, you know, my, me and my wife are we're just like pathetic. Um, every night we we watch too much MSNBC. Okay, well, yeah. and then uh, we watch the View from that day uh, from a nine to ten, and then I'm hooked on House Hunters International. I just watched the hell out of that thing because deep down in my back of my head, I think I want to move to, you know, Ireland or something. And I admire the people that actually, you know, pick up and, and I say, you know, we've had grandkids. We ain't going anywhere. I know that. But it's kind of fun to live vicariously. But as far as appointment TV for sitcoms and things, I'll try every now and then. I mean, Ted Lasso is really good. Uh, and there's a few things that stand out in my mind. But overall, there's nothing that I would really care to watch. This is so sad. But it's uh, Chips. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Chips up until recently, and I'm 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 adjusting to it. I'm I'm you know I've got an appointment with my therapist, but it was on from twelve to two every day, and you know I never watched Chips when it was on TV in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of a joke, but watch it. I I don't watch it. The reason I love watching it, it's L.A. in nineteen seventy seven, mm -hmm. and that's what L.A. looked like when I came out here. Me and too. it just remind you can get on the Hollywood freeway and go from here to there in no time. Yeah. It wasn't insane. Well, they'll go like uh, old dragnets or things like that. Well, they'll go down Ventura Boulevard where I, I used to live and see things that, you know, don't exist anymore, but yeah. certainly they were there back in the day, you know? So I've become that old man that likes to watch shows of the period when I was growing up yeah. because it, there's a comfort in that. There is. And, you know, I think Too Close for Comfort is, thank God for TV land and, yeah. and stations like that that play our play show, yep. you know, because there is a comfort in watching Three's Company, Bless Suzanne Summers, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, it... Yeah, it's and I know what that's all about now. My brother-in-law used to watch Gunsmoke and Maverick and all those shows every day. Every day. And the same this he'd see the same episode a thousand times, but it that wasn't a, that didn't matter. No. No. You know, I still, you know, Dick Van Dyke show if it's on, I have to watch it. You know, yeah. there's certain movies, uh, you know, uh, Shawshank of that starts, you got to watch it. Ti Titanic, you got to, you know, yeah, uh, Ferris yeah. Bueller, you know, these are the ones that you can't stop no matter where it is, you you, you watch the whole darn thing. Yeah. Um I do watch uh Van Dyke whenever I see it. It's funny that uh Mary Tyler Moore doesn't hold up as much as I thought it would hold up. New Heart can be funny. I still think Frasier was one of the funniest shows ever. Aren't they doing another They're one? They're doing it they uh, doing a new one. Um, but other than, uh, why can't I think of the lead all of a sudden? Um, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, Kelsey's the only one with it pretty much. Uh, I think everybody else decided not to do it. But, uh, and the, the remakes generally aren't as good generally as, right. as, uh, whatever. I mean, um, it's, it's sad what doesn't hold up, but I'm with you, man. I kind of, 
live in the past sometimes on television. Well, our future is not too good right now, so it's kind of a good <laughs> yeah, place pretty, to go back to. Yeah, you know, you I know kinda, life wasn't perfect then either. No, but it sure seemed like it. It's amazing. Um, this has been a ball catching up. Number one, Mark. I just this is how long have we been? An hour and a half. Oh my yeah. sweet Jesus! Yeah. Oh my Lord! <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just been wonderful. I didn't know what to expect, and so we just talk. You know, I want to. I want people to understand. You know, my mother used to do something that used to make me upset. There would be an actor that was really famous, and all of a sudden they would disappear, and she'd go, "Oh, there has been." And being in the arts, um, as long as you're on a stage or or doing something, you know, I would. I got into this thing. I. I always wanted to be on Broadway, but I knew I didn't have the talent to do it. And so um, I got cancer and beat that, and I got in a car accident and broke every bone in my face, and I beat that. And I kept saying, God, I want to do theater. And Bruce Valanche was doing Hairspray. Yeah. And I've known Bruce for 150 years. I love Bruce. And I went to lunch with him at a place called Beach in New York City and talked to him about, well, I have this idea for a show, one thing after another. And he said to me, I've known you forever. Stop talking about it and do it already. And I thought, you know what? He's right. And um, I, I probably told the story too many times, so I'm not going to go through it again. But anyway, I ended up doing Summer Stock 12 years ago. I did uh, Vince Fontaine in Greece. And while I was there, <laughs> uh, it was perfect role for me. Great role. And uh, I was with a bunch of 22-year-old people you know, who grew up watching me and they were more excited about me being there than they didn't know how excited I was just to be on that stage with them. And I met a guy by the name of Drew Gasparini, who then introduced me to a guy by the name of uh, Alex Brightman. And Alex Brightman has now done the lead in Beetlejuice and School of Rock, and he's oh, now doing um, uh, The Shark is Broken, and he's soon to go into Spamalot. And he wrote me a one-man show, which we first did in Bloomington, Indiana, then the Adirondack Theater Festival. And I just uh, did it for a month in Buffalo, New York, at a place called the Alleyway Theater. And this is, you know, the industry. Opening next to us was the tour of Mrs. Doubtfire. And unbeknownst to me, the director of Doubtfire came to see our show and afterwards came back to meet me and said, wow, that was amazing. I had no idea what to expect. And he said, have you ever thought about doing that in New York? And I said, yeah, every day of my life. And he goes, well, why haven't you done it? And I said, I wouldn't have the first clue. And he goes, well, you, you have a clue now. And I said, why? And in 24 hours, he connected me with the Schubert organization. And we're now in conversations to do the show off-Broadway. And I think to myself, oh, wow. in my wildest dreams, I don't know if it's going to happen because, as you know, there's 700 layers that have to right, happen. Right. But the fact that the conversations are even happening, and I'm thinking to myself, could I even do that? Could I do eight shows a week? Well, mm. you know, I guess what? I'll make myself do it because... Even well, if it was for three months or six months. Right. It's kind of like the dream that I've always wanted could possibly happen. And I never thought at 72 that that opportunity would happen. And that's why Peter Marshall said to me once, I've been friends with Peter for 100 years, don't retire. He said, everybody I know who retired dies. you got to keep active. You do. You know? And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm shooting The View this week. Um, I'm doing a trade show in Vegas this week. Um, and then I'm going in and have conversations about maybe doing this show. And so I just keep moving forward. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I don't know what motivates us. You know, what motivates you? Well, you know, actually going back to the prom that I did with high school kids last spring, I did it. The main reason I wanted to do it, other than really wanting to do that role, was I, you know, because it becomes a job. And you lose that 
the reason you get into it is because, oh my God, just being on stage and, and theater and all of that so propelled me into this life that I've had. But you lose that yeah. because it becomes a job. about a paycheck. Yeah. And um, so I went, I want to see if I can fall back in love again with theater because mm. I feel like I've fallen out of love with it. And it did that in spades. Really? First off, the kids, their mm. dreams, yeah. their, their, their energy, their, their hope. It's intoxicating. It is. And to be a part of that, not just the watching it, but to be a part of it. And and, and we're not going to be negative to them. I know a lot of people will tell them, it's never going to happen, or you can't do it. Or, oh, you, you can't. Know. No one can say that. No. I can't tell you. The, I, we don't have time to get into the, and I'm sure for you, people that I saw over the years, and I went, that's never going to happen. Bless yeah. his heart. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> and it's like, guess what? Yeah. I wish he would hire me today. It's so you crazy. Know, it's such a crazy business. No one can tell you no. not, that it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I agree. We talk a lot on the show about overcoming obstacles. What's the biggest obstacle you had to overcome? Oh, my God. What is the biggest obstacle I've had to overcome? Um, I mean, certainly the crystal meth thing couldn't have been easy. Yeah. You know, people talk to me about OCD and they say to me, well, how do you get over it? And I say, you know what? It's, I've never done drugs and I've never done alcohol to the extent of craziness. But until you're ready to stop, you know, I, OCD was miserable and I just wanted it out of my life. And uh, I outed myself on national TV and next thing I know, I'm on Oprah and Hollywood Squares and, or I mean, uh, Howard Stern, all this stuff. Uh, but I wanted it out of my life. And so until you're ready, I guess it won't happen. But when you think about painting houses and, you know, quote, coming out back before it was, I mean, HIV, tell me, how are you feeling these days? Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that's just not in, I mean, I'm still HIV positive, but I don't even think about it. I've been positive for 47 years. Really? I found out how, 1985, what's the math on that? God knows. Uh, um, uh, 40 years? Yeah, it's been a while. At least. And I have been so blessed that I've never had any issues. I've never even, viral load has always been undetectable. My T cells have been crazy high. And I've never had to deal with that. Medication? I'm on Victarvi now, which is a once a day pill. Right. But I'm only doing that because of uh, my doctor said, you know, let's do this pill can take care of your HIV, keeping it at bay, and then your immune system because I was getting colds and everything. Mm. So, so they when I was doing Kinky Boots when I was on tour with them, uh, they started that the Victarby. So that you know that, but I've never had to know what it's like to to be scared even yeah. with that. And yeah. I, I I've got a an ability in me that is sort of like uh, water on a duck. Things hit me and they roll off of me, and that's been great, and that's a good thing in life. But also at the same time, things hit me and I don't learn the lesson I need to learn from them. Mm. So I have to repeat that again and, <laughs> and again, again and again. So, but I know your mom saw your success. Did your dad see your success? Yeah, yeah. And the, they were over the moon, I'm sure. They were. Yeah. They were so proud of me. Nice. They were very proud of me. Man from tea sets to <laughs> knitting things for cats. 
to this. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Congratulations, my friend. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, I love you. I hope to see you sooner than, uh, you know, waiting 20 years. And... I love you, too. I hope to come see you on Broadway. Well, that would be very cool, man. That would be... Well, I uh, don't doubt it. You certainly know? magical. Well, that's Mark Smith. He's the one who put us together 100 years ago. I know. You take care. Uh, see you next week. Mark Summers Unwraps. Thanks for listening. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluck and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps.